Go to Solomon chapter 5. <clears throat> the word of the Lord says this. What is your beloved more than another beloved? O oh, most beautiful among women, what is your beloved more than another beloved that you thus adjure us? Verse 10. My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among ten thousand. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory bedecked with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns set on the bases of gold. His appearance is like of Laban, choice as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. And here's our text for this morning. And he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. You may be seated. What we have before us is one of the sweetest, most beautiful, and loveliest of descriptions of a husband. We have in this verse three characters. There is one who is the wife, and she has, out of nowhere, lost her husband. She's searching for her husband. And these daughters of Jerusalem are asking this wife, well, can you describe to me what does he look like? How is your, and what makes your husband more lovely and beloved than another one? I mean, husbands come back home. So why are you so stressed out in trying to find your husband? What is your beloved different than or more than another beloved? What makes your husband so special? As we read from verses 10 through 16, this wife gives one of the most eloquent and sweetest descriptions of a husband. He's radiant and ruddy, distinguished among ten thousand. His head is the finest of gold. His eyes are like doves. His cheeks are like beds of spices. His lips are lilies. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory. His appearance is the most sweet. But as this wife who's looking for her husband begins to speak of her husband, she's suddenly aware that her words are not doing justice to the true beauty and loveliest of this man. 
consider what she says in verse 16. His mouth is most sweet and he is altogether desirable. Charles Spurgeon said it beautifully. She proceeds with due order, commencing at the head and proceeding with the diverse parts of the person of the beloved. But then she warms up. She glows. She flames. And at last the heat which had been for a while been repressed like a fire within her bones. And she bursts forth in flaming words. Here is a live coal from off the altar of her heart. Yes, he is altogether lovely. It is the utterance of a soul that is altogether overcome with admiration and therefore feels that in attempting to describe the well-beloved, it has undertaken a task beyond its power. In trying to describe the beauty of this one who she calls her husband, she understands that my words don't do him justice. And that's why she says he is altogether desirable. But for this morning... I'm going to be using the King James Version of this text, that he is altogether lovely. This text, although it is speaking of a wife looking for a husband, ultimately it's about the church and her bridegroom. This text, although it is speaking of these historical figures, a true wife and a true husband, Ultimately, this picture, this description that we have of this husband is a description of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is the church that says, Jesus Christ is altogether lovely. Saints, this morning, I want us to consider the loveliness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want to do that just in three points. Number one, Christ is altogether lovely in his person. Christ is altogether lovely in his person. Point two, Christ is altogether lovely in his work. Christ is altogether lovely in his work. And point three, Christ is altogether lovely in his relations. He's altogether lovely in his person, in his work, and in his relations. First, let's consider Christ is altogether lovely in his person. When we think of the loveliness of Christ, we first must begin at the head. We must begin with who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of the eternal God. He has all the perfections of what it means to be God. He is deity, nothing more, nothing less. He is simple, which means that there is nothing in back of the Son that causes Him to be. He is immutable, which means that the Son cannot change. He is impassable, which means that his love and His grace and His mercy, as Pastor Antonio spoke this morning, are not on a roller coaster. But He loves us with an everlasting love. 
He is most wise. He is most holy. He is most gracious. He is most merciful. But consider with me how the Bible describes the loveliest of the deity of Christ. In Colossians 1.15, the Son is the image of the Father. In Hebrews 1.13, He is the radiance of the Father's glory. In Isaiah 9, Isaiah sees the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Paul in 1 Timothy 6 calls Jesus the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In Hebrews 13.8, the author says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Ezekiel's vision of the Lord, he sees a throne, and on it an appearance of one who's like sapphire and fire. Saints, these descriptions of Christ's divinity surely are breathtaking, are they not? Think of the depth of beauty of a painting from Michelangelo. Or think of the loveliest of words from the poet Shakespeare or the great poets of yesteryear. Those things are but a small drop of water compared to the ocean of loveliness that is Christ's divinity. Beautiful paintings require time and effort. Lovely words require a great mind. These things, these lovely things, derive their loveliness from something or someone outside of themselves. But Jesus Christ is the original. He is the original. He is lovely without cause or assistance. There is nothing that causes Him, that aids in His loveliness. There is no amount of makeup. There is no haircut that can aid to His loveliness. He is beauty with His mask off. He is lovely, unveiled. He is pure light, without spot or blemish. All lovely things find its origins in the most loveliest of one, Jesus Christ. If the high mountains are lovely, and if the deep oceans are lovely, if the most beautiful of animals are lovely, then think of the loveliest of Jesus Christ. But as lovely as Christ is with respect to His divinity, we must not forget that our Lord is deity dwelling in flesh. Jesus Christ is the eternal Son who assumed a human body, a human mind, a human will, human emotions, and a human soul. He is truly God and truly man. In Jesus Christ, heaven and earth met in one person. The sweetness of heaven. And that's who is created in God's image, met in Jesus Christ, the one who hung the stars, walked the dust of the streets of Jerusalem. The Puritan Char uh, Stephen Charnock has said it eloquently, what a wonder that God upon a throne should be an infant in a cradle, that the thundering creator be a weeping babe and suffering men, the one who created all things, depends on his mother's breast for milk. Our Lord, according to his human nature, is the most loveliest. 
But that's not. Or when we think about Jesus Christ as man, being lovely, he's not lovely as you and I imagine someone to be lovely in our day. It's not as if Jesus was an attractive man, as he had the best beard, as he has the best haircuts, he had the finest of clothes. For what does Isaiah 53 tell us? That Christ had no form or majesty that we should look upon him. That there was no beauty that we should desire him. That when Jesus Christ walked along the streets of Jerusalem, they didn't see a guest model. They didn't see a mannequin. There was nothing that drew others' attention toward Jesus Christ. It wasn't in Christ's appearance that made him lovely, but rather his human loveliness comes from the form in which he came. Consider with me the words of Paul in Philippians 2. Our Lord did not count equality with God, but a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friends, it wasn't good enough that God would become like his own creation. He merely just didn't come as simply a man. But he stooped down to a level that men and women are ashamed to go. He stooped down and became a servant. On earth, our Lord was a nobody. He was given a common name of the day, Jesus. He was born in a town where men ask, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He was a quiet carpenter. He obeyed his mother and his father. In his life, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He washed his disciples' feet. And in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, we see the extent of how low the eternal Son really went. Now, picture this. This is a prophecy about God becoming flesh. And look how low this God went. The servant says, I gave my back to those who strike. And my cheeks to those who who pull out my beard. I did not hide my face from disgrace or spitting. The path that Christ chose for our salvation was one of humiliation and shame. In a nutshell, the greatest someone who's ever lived was on earth the greatest no one. They are the ones in saints when we think of people on this earth who are seen as the most beautiful and loveliest. Those ones who are the most beautiful and loveliest are the ones who are the most humble and servant at heart. You can meet the most beautiful of man or woman, but if they are not humble, then it throws their entire beauty off. The most loveliest of persons are the most humble of persons. They are the servants of this world. Well, saints, if that is true, then how much more lovely is our Lord Jesus Christ? 
Christ infinitely transcends the most excellent and loveliest of created things. No one has said it better than the Puritan John Flavel. He says, The fairest pictures have, must have their shadows. The rarest and most brilliant gems must have dark backgrounds to set off their beauty. The best creature is but a bitter sweet at best. If there is something pleasing, there is also something sour. If a person has every ability, both innate and acquired, to delight us, yet there is also some natural corruption intermixed within it to put us off. But it is not so with our altogether lovely Christ. His excellencies are pure and unmixed. He is a sea of sweetness without one drop of gall. The most beautiful of person, you can find something unlovely about them. The most humble of person, you can find something unhumble about them. But that is not so with Jesus Christ. For he is the sweetest of seas. There is not one piece of trash found in Jesus Christ. All lovely things in this world are but a fleeting flower. But Jesus Christ is an eternal garden. All lovely things will soon give way to age, dust, and cobwebs. But Christ is a never-fading beauty. He is the Son of Righteousness that is far more glorious than the sun in the sky. Think of how bright, how glorious the sun of the sky is. What if that is the case? And how bright and majestic is the Son of Righteousness? He is the chief among 10,000. If Christ is glorious in His resurrected body, saints, imagine what He looks like in heaven. Men and women of this world may be lovely, but none but Christ is altogether lovely. There are many things in this world that are lovely. I went to Disneyland past week and it was lovely. But it's not altogether lovely. There's only one, and that is Jesus Christ, who is altogether lovely. And he is lovely in his person. Let's consider the second point, and that is Christ is lovely in his work. Christ is lovely in his work. What makes someone lovely in our day? Yes, we can point to their humility. But also what makes someone lovely is by what they do. Think about those who have helped the poor and helped the needy throughout the years. Think of Princess Diana. Think of Mother Teresa. Think of maybe Martin Luther King Jr. who have helped and by their, by their, by their work... They have caused themselves to be more beautiful than they actually are because they're doing great things. But saints, if that is true, then how much more lovely is Jesus Christ? If we gauge someone's loveliness by what they do, by their work, then how much more lovely is the work of Jesus Christ? Rather than feeding the poor, although he did, Rather than helping the sick, although he did that as well, Jesus Christ's work is defined by his perfect life and death. And this glorious work of our Lord is what is spoken of 
all throughout the Old Testament. In Genesis 3.15, He is the one who will come and bruise the head of the serpent. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, Christ is the light for those who have dwelt in the land of deep darkness. A great light has shone upon them. In that same chapter, verse 6, Christ is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In Psalm 110, Christ is the one whose enemies are being placed under His feet. Friends, the Old Testament anticipates our lovely Savior's redemptive work. And as we come to the New Testament, we see how lovely this Savior truly is. Consider the loveliness of His words. He says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says in John six thirty five, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He says in John 10, uh, 10 verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Gentleness was what marked our Lord's character. He was the man of Isaiah 42, verse 2, the one who will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Consider the loveliness of his preaching. In Luke chapter 2, verse 22, after Christ had spoken, the people asked, Is this not Joseph's son? Who is this man? Where did he get this learning? Jesus Christ is the greatest preacher who has ever lived. Consider with me the loveliness of Christ's perfect law-keeping. He says in Matthew 5 that he not, did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it. He fulfilled the moral. He fulfilled the ceremonial. He fulfilled the civil law. Everything that bound us up is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Consider with me the loveliness of Christ's obedience. And if there's anything that marked out our Lord's life, it was His obedience. And friends, what a great cost His obedience was. His obedience led Him to hunger in the wilderness for 40 days and for 40 nights, being tempted by Satan. His obedience led Him to rejection. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. In fact, there was one time when he came back to his hometown. He preached a sermon, and they wanted to kill him. His obedience led him to ridicule. They accused Jesus Christ of having a demon. They spit in his face. They pulled out his beard. His obedience led him to homelessness. Foxes have holes. The birds in the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Will you still follow me? His obedience led him to betrayal by a disciple who I know he loved. Jesus loved Judas because he tells us we are to love our enemies. Christ's obedience led him to a garden called Gethsemane where he cries out, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet that it, not my will, but your will be done. As, as drops of blood are dripping down his head, he realizes what he is going to go through. The amount of wrath that he is going to drink 
for our sake. But ultimately, the obedience of Christ led him to Calvary. It led him to Golgotha, the place of the skull. And on the cross, Jesus leaped into the sea of his Father's wrath in order to save you and I from drowning. Jesus' obedience led him into darkness in order that we may see light. That is the most remarkable thing about Christ's obedience. That Jesus Christ knew what was going to happen and he walked towards suffering. It's one thing to know that you're going to suffer, but it's another thing to set your face as stone and walk toward the execution chair. My wife and I recently watched this documentary about six young men who received a crime that they didn't, who received these punishments of a crime they didn't commit. And in this documentary, it goes scene by scene, or and episode by episode, of just how hard they had it in prison and how hard they had it after prison. And there was a scene when one comes up and he says that these men did not commit the crime, but I committed the crime. Thereby, they were acquitted of all charges. They received a good amount of money. But that scene in particular, when each one of them were finding out that someone confessed, that someone said that they're innocent of all charges, all charges are being dropped. I think my wife cried. But inside, I surely did. You know, I want to be strong. But inside, I was weeping like a baby. I was so happy for these men. But friends, how much more should the cross of Christ bring us to our knees? If I was moved in such a way for these men to be acquitted of all charges, then how should I feel when I hear that I've been acquitted of all charges because of Jesus Christ. John Flavel says, If a pardon be sweet to a condemned criminal, how sweet must the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus be to the trembling conscience of a law-condemned sinner? If we hear that someone is being acquitted of all charges, imagine us, Saints, we committed the crime. And we have an alien righteousness that comes and says that someone has paid your debt. Now release the prisoner. Friends, we are all poor captives, enslaved to the most cruelest of tyrants. But how sweet the sound is to hear of the liberty and deliverance we have in Jesus Christ. How sweet it is to hear that you are freed, that all charges have been dropped. The gospel is the loveliest of news, is it not? It is the sweetest of news because it speaks of the sweetest and loveliest of person, Jesus Christ. 
all of the promises of the new covenant flow from this deep fountain that is Jesus Christ. In Christ we receive illumination and direction. In Christ we receive reconciliation, peace, pardon, adoption, grace, acceptance, the beatific vision. These are the sweet streams of joy that flow from the fountain of Jesus Christ for us, the sinners, to delight and swim in. Saints, look upon your Savior. See how lovely He truly is. See His person. See His work. Look upon the obedience of Christ who left the sweet hive of His Father's bosom to come and live in this poor, sin-sick world. He exchanged His palace for a cross, His crown for thorns. Saints, look upon Jesus Christ's perfect law-keeping, the law that kept us bound, the law that was a curse for us. But what Jesus Christ does is He lifts up the curse from under our feet, that we can properly obey the law of God. We're not bound by the law, but we are held captive by grace. And by grace, we properly are able to obey the law. Think about the sweetness of of our Christ's words. That there's not a poet in this land There is no writer that can equate the sweet and lovely sayings from our Lord. But think about the cross. Look upon the cross of Jesus Christ. For Christ undoubtedly is the most loveliest. Now that is interesting for me to say, is it not? Because when we tend to think of our Savior, when we tend to think of our Christ on the cross, we can't help but view one who is a bleeding Savior. When we think of Jesus Christ on the cross, we have no choice but to see one covered in head to foot with blood. Indeed, it is a horrific sight to think of our bleeding Savior. But saint is also the most loveliest of sight. Because it is there that our bleeding Savior showed the most love to us. Covered in blood, streaming in agony, the greatest preacher who has ever lived preached his greatest sermon. I love you this much. He bled love from every vein. From every vein that bursted with blood, they were love drops. The more we think of the blood of Christ, the more we are to see Him as beautiful. As the Puritan Thomas Watson said, the more bloody, bloody, the more lovely. Oh, how lovely ought a bleeding Savior be to our eyes. 
because every drop of blood shows of how much we've been forgiven. For it was his blood that took away our sins. Friends, what a lovely Savior we have in Jesus Christ. Let's now consider the last point in closing, and that is Christ is lovely in his relations. Christ is lovely in his relations. What does it mean for Christ to be in a relationship to us? And how is that lovely? Well, first, Christ is a lovely redeemer. By his life and death, he redeemed us out of the slave market of sin. All that we owe to God, Christ paid in full. Where we were once dead in our sins, Christ made us alive. He made us new creations in him. He redeemed us not with silver and gold, but by his precious blood. Oh, how lovely is Jesus Christ in his relation of a redeemer to his elect. Secondly, Christ is a lovely bridegroom. Christ is the great husband of the church. We have no beauty. We have no goodness to make us desirable in Christ's eyes. Yet Christ chose us not because we were lovely, but in order that he might make us lovely. Consider the love that Christ has for his bride. No husband is so undying and everlasting a husband as Christ is. Death separates a husband from their wife. But the Christian's union with Christ is not dissolved in the grave. You will not be separated from Christ when you die, just as you will be separated from your wife when you die, or husband. In fact, the day of the believer's death is his and her marriage day. It is when this, this, this sweet communion, it is when this sweet engagement finally becomes one. The day that the Christian dies is the Christian's fullest enjoyment of Jesus Christ. No husband can say to his wife what Christ says to his believer, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. No father, no mother, no husband, no wife, no grandmother, no grandfather, no best friend can say what Jesus can say to you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. No husband is more gentle. No husband is more loving. No husband is more faithful than our bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Thirdly, consider Christ is altogether lovely in his relation of an advocate. 1 John 2, 1 says, But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. It is he that pleads the cause of believers in heaven. He pleads the cause of believers by his blood. Unlike other advocates, their way of pleading is by words. But Christ pleads for us by the voice of his own blood. Other advocates require a reward for their service of pleading. But Christ pleads for us free of charge. And fourth and lastly, Christ is altogether lovely in his relation of a friend. 
Jesus Christ says in John 15:15, 15, 15, No longer do, you, do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father have made known to you. No friend is so open-hearted then to his friend as Jesus Christ is to his people. No friend in the world is so generous of a friend as Jesus Christ is to his believers. There is nothing that your best friend can give you that Jesus Christ has given to his true friends. He says in John 15:13, Greater love has no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. Consider that. And I've been thinking about that often in my uh, meditation. He doesn't say that he lays down his life for sinners. He doesn't say that he lays down his life for those who are in Adam. But he says he lays down his life for his friends. No friend sympathizes so tenderly with his friend in affliction as Jesus Christ does. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That homegirl, that homeboy that you call, that thinks that you think understands you the best. Friends, no one understands you the best than Jesus Christ. But here's the kicker. Although Jesus Christ can sympathize with your weakness, you can never, ever sympathize with His. He went through, far, he went through something far greater than you and I could ever go through. So what makes you think that Jesus Christ is not a proper candidate for you to pray to you, for you to say, God, help me in this area? He is a friend to sinners. No friend in this world loves his friend with an impassioned and strong affection as Jesus Christ loves believers. David manifested his love to Absalom in wishing, I had died instead of you. Christ manifests his love to us, not in wishes that he died, but in death itself. In our place, condemned he stood. Oh, what a lovely friend we have in Jesus. Oh, what a lovely relationship we have in Jesus Christ. He is not just our Savior. He is our friend. He is our advocate. He is our great husband. In closing, saints, what is the reason for a sermon like this? I know much of what was said are things that you probably already know. And many of you will probably say that today's sermon was a, was a good reminder of who Jesus Christ is. So what's the reason for a sermon like this? In November 2017, in his last sermon, his final words, R.C. Sproul said this, I pray with all my heart that God will awaken each one of us today to the sweetness, the loveliness, the glory of the gospel declared by Christ. But think of what he says there. That God will awaken us. Saints, one of the greatest hindrances in the Christian life is not our lack of effort, 
but it is our lack of awareness of the sweetness and loveliness of Jesus Christ. That you don't understand how lovely and you don't understand how sweet Jesus Christ truly is. What is it that hinders you from becoming the Christian that you want to be? What is it that hinders you from growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ? What keeps you from growing for love for Christ? It is that you don't view Christ as lovely. You don't view Christ as sweet. Why do you sin so much? Because you haven't found Christ as lovely. Why is it that you can't get over your addiction because you have not found Christ as lovely? Why is it that it seems sin continues to cause you to doubt your salvation? That each time you sin, you say to yourself, I'm not saved, I can't do this. Because you haven't found Christ as lovely. Friends, do away with those empty nothings. Away with this vain, deceitful world which desires which deserves not even the slightest part of the love that you give it. Think of all of the things in this world that you give to it. As Spurgeon said, it's better to eat crumbs from the table of Christ than a loaf from the table of the world. It is better for us to be peasants sitting under the foot of the cross than living on top of the world. Friends, let all vain things in this world stand aside and for once in your life, give it all to Jesus Christ. For once in your life, view Christ as lovely and as sweet and as the most beautiful person in this world. For it is better to have a glimpse of Jesus than to see all the glory of the earth all the days of your life. I would rather to have a, a minute picture of Christ than have an 8K flat screen picture of all the beauty and glory of this world. Brothers and sisters, if you only knew Christ's worth and excellency, if you only knew the sweet pleasures that are found in Jesus Christ, if you only knew the great diamond that Jesus Christ is, the one who we are to sell everything for, to buy that field where Jesus Christ is found. Brothers and sisters, if you only knew who Jesus Christ is in himself, if you only knew what He has done for you, then you will see that Jesus Christ is the richest jewel in the cabinet of heaven. Saints, my charge to you this morning is to awaken your affections, awaken your heart, awaken your mind, awaken your eyes to the loveliest and the loveliest of one, Jesus Christ. Let others see Jesus Christ in you. We spoke of the gospel and how we must preach the gospel. Preach of the loveliest of our Savior. Preach of this one. If you repent of your sins, that you will find 
to be the most sweetest and the most joyous and the most loveliest of things in heaven and on earth. Friends, set your mind on Jesus Christ and no one else. Let's pray.